The past couple of episodes have talked about what you would do with a physical, tangible illness or injury, but what if you come across someone who's obviously having a mental health crisis? They could be having a panic attack, maybe suicidal ideations, or they're just in an episode and they need your help. We're going to cover mental health first aid. It is something that you can do. There are steps to follow, and it is just as important as a physical first aid course. Welcome to Bushcraft Health and Wellness, the podcast for anyone who spends time outdoors that wants to learn about staying healthy with wellness and preparedness. If you want to keep the high stoke, full send adventures going for years to come, you need to start with the basics because we all want to stay well, play hard, and recover fast. And I want to help you lay a good foundation through memorable stories and helpful tips. I'm Mandy, and when I'm not traveling across the country living out of my Jeep, I'm working as a nurse and planning my next adventure, and I want to share everything I know with you. In addition to new episodes every week, I also create a summary sheet with all of the main points. So check out the show notes for that, plus all of the great source materials. So buckle in and let's go. Quick disclaimer, this podcast does not replace medical advice from a doctor. You should talk to your primary care physician before making any changes to medications or treatments. This podcast also does not take the place of wilderness first aid, CPR, or any other medical training, which are recommended. I make my best attempt to be as up-to-date and accurate as possible, but I am human and make mistakes. Medical content and descriptions of sometimes gory situations may be more adult in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Going out in nature is supposed to be really good for your mental health, and studies have proven it. However, just because it's good to go out there and it really grounds you and brings you back to your natural roots and helps you remain grounded, it doesn't mean that you can automatically check your problems at the door and not have to worry about them while you're out. Existing mental health issues will still be present no matter where you go, and added stressors like changed routines, financial demands, uncertainty, and physical stress can all make mental problems worse. Continue taking all of your prescribed meds. I cannot stress this enough. And if you're going to go with a group of people, maybe have one or two that you really trust and pull them aside and talk to them about your current struggles and maybe what your triggers are, what your medications are, and how they can best help you if something happens. You don't have to go fully in depth. You don't have to disclose all of your private medical information, but maybe have someone who is on the same page as you. Then you want to keep in mind that traumatic events are hard on both the victims and the rescuers and that post-traumatic stress disorder is common for both. So it's okay to seek help for emotional injuries after something happens. No, that's normal. And it's also normal if you don't experience anything and you don't think you need help. It doesn't make you a monster. You might just have the appropriate coping mechanisms and not need to seek professional help. You want to always maintain calm and as in control of the situation as possible. That is really important for the affected individuals for positive outcomes because mindset has so much to do with how people respond to a crisis and approach the situation in a non-judgmental way that allows everyone to feel safe 
heard and validated. That's also going to improve the mental well-being of the group, particularly if anyone is having any current struggles. We're going to go through the ACE system here in just a second. That is a nice little triaging system that mental health first aid uses to try and triage a mental crisis, the same as you would triage a physical trauma. And always remember as we're going through all of this that it is okay not to know what to say. Just do what you can to let the other party know that they're being heard and that you care. And do what you can to promote their safety until they can be put in touch with a real professional or someone that can help them over the phone. It's also helpful to know if you have any mental health text lines or hotlines available for when there is cell service. The Wilderness Mental Health First Aid Triaging System is a continuum that was created by someone named Kate Beecher. Beecher? She is an Australian psychologist and they actually wrote an article about her in Outside Magazine on November 9th, 2020 called Meet the Woman Teaching the Psychology of Survival. It is a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. Or I believe they just put out a podcast about it where they interview her personally. And this is basically a system of triaging someone who is having a mental health crisis from a mental health professional. And it is going to range from healthy, which is green. Remember the green tags are the walking wounded who can either have no treatment or mild treatment and then self-evacuate. All the way to mentally ill persons, which is the red. So the system that this uses is ACEs, and that stands for A, assess, C, communicate, C, calm, and E, evaluate to evacuate. And remember, you're going to have rapid evacuation for any currently suicidal patient. The A part of this, assess, stands for you want to assess a few different things, actually. You're going to assess the individual, the environment, and the group. So let's break it down. When you assess the individual, you're going to look at what happened, how they look to you, and how would you rate their level of distress, how you would rate their level of distress, not them. So green, we're just going to work our way up on all of these. Green, if they're completely alert and oriented times four, they are calm, composed, and you would say their distress is reasonable for the current situation. They might move into yellow if they have a little bit of confusion, maybe poor memory of the events that happened and they can't control their emotions. They might be irritable, anxious, upset, and have these crazy wild mood swings while still being able to function and perform tasks that you give them. Then we're going to move into orange, which is a new one, but remember we're working our way up to red. So orange are those who are a little more confused, their memory is a little worse, and maybe declining. Maybe you told them something a second ago and they remembered it, but now they don't remember it. And they can be incoherent. You might not be able to understand what they're saying or what they mean. They are potentially angry and agitated and having difficulty functioning or performing otherwise normal tasks that you give them. Simple things that they should know how to do that you could otherwise use to distract them and they can't do those. 
and then finally red. These patients are not well. They have poor or no situational awareness at all. They have no memory of the events that occurred and they appear out of control, frozen, catatonic, in a rage and cannot perform even the most basic of normal tasks. They are just absolutely beside themselves and their distress is certainly not appropriate for the situation and you do not feel incredible in control of this situation either. So that was assessing the individual. Next you're going to assess the environment. So a green environment would be a place or a situation where help is readily available. You are in good communication with a professional or rescue crews and there's a pretty easy road access to where you are or maybe you have enough shelter like a real shelter and food and water and supplies enough to hunker down for a little while until rescue can get there. Also probably good weather, no other threats like animals, and there's plenty of time to evacuate so maybe it's early in the day. A yellow environment would mean help is maybe available but they might be delayed or a little farther away. Communication is spotty at best. Maybe you don't have a cell signal all the time or you have to walk to a certain spot to get it. And you have maybe a little rougher road to get to you. Rescue wouldn't quite be so easy. You might only have a tent and limited resources available. So not as much food or maybe you can't make a fire to stay warm. And the weather might be questionable. It might be turning or it's later in the morning to early afternoon. Orange environment level would be considered you're on your own. It's self-help only at this point. There is limited communication. Maybe you only have a Garmin spot so you can just send these short brief texts every several minutes. There's limited road access, so rescue is not going to be readily available right there. And you might only have natural shelter, so trees above you or a cave with inclement weather, maybe a storm is coming, and it's now afternoon to later afternoon. So the chance of getting out of there that time is not quite so great. Red situation this is dire there's no help no communication at all no road access you're gonna have to hike it out you have no shelter at all nothing around maybe you're in a desert and the terrain is really dangerous no one can get to you weather is extreme there might be during an actual storm and it's late in the day so you're likely gonna have to spend a night out now finally we're going to assess the group as individual needs. So do the needs of the group as a whole outweigh the resources available? This one's gonna be a little bit trickier to assess and describe, but I'm gonna do my best. So a green situation would be if you have ample resources and abilities and everyone's able to take care of themselves, nobody has any current needs at the time, they're all self-sufficient and able to contribute to helping out with the one person who's maybe having a crisis. A yellow situation is maybe you have some resources and some people kind of know what to do and maybe someone needs a little attention themselves. So maybe someone else has a sprained ankle or something. 
a yellow situation is you might have someone in your group who is diabetic and you're almost out of food and you can't logically spend the night that you know of because of these other needs. A red situation is the patient or person in crisis needs help immediately, maybe they're suicidal, and you have no resources and other people in your group are not able to help or they might also need help. So maybe something happened to the entire group and you have a couple injured parties and now you have someone else who's having suicidal thoughts that were triggered by the event and it's just kind of compounding everything so everybody in the group needs some sort of help or has some reason why they cannot contribute to the overall situation. So we're going to have to take all of these and consider why this is a continuum. It's never going to be easy for you to triage in general. And especially when you have three different components to think of, it's it's almost like a Sudoku square here, like a bar graph or something. It It's all so situational. You could have a red patient. They have a lot of needs. They're, they're out of control. You need to help them and you need to help them ASAP. But you also are in a green environment. So you do have help available and communication is good and road access is good. So this is all a bonus. But however, your group is red because you have someone else who's having a crisis and they also need medical attention and or you maybe can't just leave them to walk to the road to get this person evacuated and someone will need to come get you and help both of these individuals be evacuated. So overall, you have to figure out what the average color is after you combine all three of these. If you have all greens, that's great. If you have all reds, probably not so great. So think of it that way that you can't just look at one and go from there. Maybe, maybe if you have all greens but one category is red, that's where you would put your focus. Otherwise, you're looking at all three of them and you're just going to have to kind of find somewhere in the middle. You might not even know exactly what color you're in, but you should be able to tell kind of what you're tending towards. Okay, we're going to move on past. That was all in the assess part of it. So now we're going to move on to the first C, which is communicate. In this stage, you want to reassure the patient that you're there for them, you're going to help them, and you're going to do what you can. If you don't know them, it's a good idea to introduce yourself. And try and always remember to remain calm and clear with your intentions because your reaction to the situation is going to mean so much for how they react to the situation and how they respond to you and respond to your help. Next, you're going to try and gather whatever information you can from the patient as you are able to and potentially ask them for their input. Remember how I said that asking a patient for their input on how they get cared for is so good for their mental status and their just view of the situation as a whole. The same goes for this right here. This doesn't mean that you have to listen to everything they say, especially if maybe they're saying, I'm fine, leave me, but they previously expressed that they're suicidal, then you should absolutely not leave them ever. Never leave 
someone with suicidal thoughts alone. For them, you're going to rapidly evacuate. So you can take their input. It's always good to have, but remember you don't have to do what they're saying. Next, whenever you can, maintain their physical space. Let them move as they need to. Don't approach them and touch them if they don't want it. Don't try and corral them or herd them anywhere. Just let them do what they're doing as long as they're in a safe place, preferably not on like a cliff edge or a waterfall edge or something like that. And let them pace. If that's what helps them calm down, if that's what makes them feel better, go for it. They can pace all they want. Just let them do it safely. Then you want to consider if there's any distressing sights around. If they are having a mental breakdown because they are hiking with their friend who just had a traumatic fatal injury and now they are having a panic attack because they witnessed it and their friend is right there, take them around a corner or farther away so that they're not just staring at the situation that's making the crisis. The next C stands for calm and in this step you're going to attempt to slow their breathing with focused directions. You want to instruct them to breathe in through their nose for four seconds and then out through their nose for four seconds. And just giving them a simple, easy job like that, not only does it take their mind off, it gives them something to do, it redirects their focus, but also slowing down their breathing like that and kind of controlling it a little bit more will help slow down their respiration and their pulse which will in turn bring their adrenaline down a little bit and hopefully refocus them and allow them to think a little clearer. You want to ground them to their environment such as like who is there, what you can hear and feel and it might help if you go through a little exercise with them for this one. So for example have them name off in a countdown type way, maybe four things that they can see, four things that they can feel, three things that they can see, three things that they can feel, two things that they can see, two things that they can feel, and then one of each. You get the picture. And I know I said see, but I think hear, see, feel, anything like that, anything that brings them back down to the present moment and to tangible things and kind of out of their head will improve any kind of situation here. And this also works to the next step which is distracting them from their current state by asking about them. People love to talk about themselves. That is the thing that they know the most about in the world. So ask them about their hobbies, their interests, their family, their pets, and give them a simple task, like one that they need a little bit of focus on, but that can't really be messed up, like fold up this tarp, roll up this cord, roll up this bandage, something like that, that takes their mind off of something, it gives them a job, but it is is not so hard that they're going to mess it up and then feel like a further failure which will in turn just further the deadly hate spiral that they're going through with themselves at this moment. And then finally E is evaluate to evacuate. 
if you have assessed the situation and everything is green, you're probably good to continue on with your trip. You're good to go. If everything was yellow or if the average is yellow, maybe you should stay in that location and try and focus on keeping everyone calm, calming down the person in crisis until maybe everything flips over to a green and then you can continue. If it is an orange situation all around, keep everyone safe, keep everyone calm, and maybe consider evacuation. This is the point where it starts to get a little hairier and you can't just talk your way through it you might need to actually evacuate. And finally, if the situation is red, you're just going to focus on rapid evacuation and getting them referred to a mental health professional. Throughout this entire process, keep in mind to monitor for whatever the trigger was or the triggering event and what worked to help calm them down, what you maybe need to help them, and if you need to or if it's applicable, you can relay all this information to the rescuers or the mental health professional that you're going to refer them to. Remember back to last week, we always had a written or a verbal kind of handoff report note that we passed on to the real professionals just to help them with gathering information. Yes, they can start from scratch. That's part of their job. But when they have additional information and they don't have to it always makes it just that much easier okay now real quick before we move on I just have a few tips on things that you can do to help calm yourself and maybe if you need to you can use these to help calm another person as well number one is to breathe I know you're probably gonna get sick of hearing this but it really is one of the best things that you can do for your medical and mental health is breathing adequately if you are not getting enough oxygen in your brain is going to start to panic because that is an emergency for it it is a crisis so it really just goes to reason that by getting enough oxygen in and breathing it helps calm that anxiety down because it's no longer that primal fight or flight type response you need to you can talk in a positive way maybe using visualization with positive imagery that has been shown to help or keep yourself focused by using or repeating like a phrase to call back to the need at hand I know for myself or a lot of people their best ideas and their best thoughts come to them while they're in the shower or while they're driving or while they're doing something kind of like mundane and repetitive so you're doing something you're acting but you don't need to really think that much about it yes it requires some brain power I would say driving probably requires a bit more brain power but it's something that you can kind of do from muscle memory and just gathering basic information and that distracts your brain from anything else that could possibly cause these kind of mental blocks unless it just freely think and I think that's why a lot of people have these like revelations when they're in the shower or driving you also can communicate with the patient and other group members I think a few episodes ago I mentioned how talking out loud is really good for not just the overall mental status of the group but also for kind of group thinking you're kind of making like a little impromptu mastermind where you're talking out loud 
You're telling people what you're thinking, why you're doing something, what you're doing. And then maybe they hear that and it triggers them to think like, oh, we could try this. And then someone else says, oh, well, if we're going to do that, then maybe we could try it this way. And that's how you get those good ideas rolling. And also they can give you a sense of control over the situation, which will in turn calm you down. Also, at this point, you should just focus on immediate needs that are attainable because you can't control every situation and a lot of people get into this anxiety and this like overall doom and gloom by worrying about things that they can't control, which is kind of pointless and you should just focus on what you can. You're not going to be able to change how the weather is if it's raining out you have absolutely no power over that. So don't stress about it. You can stress about, uh, I'm not wearing my rain jacket and it's raining. Well, okay, put your rain jacket on. There you go, problem solved. What's next? Come at me. Okay, so worry about what you can control and go with that. And always remember that you are not a professional unless you are a professional, then I'm not sure why you're listening to this. So just focus on safety until you can get them in touch with someone who is a professional. And it's always okay to not know what to say. I think a lot of the time, even professionals don't know what to say. It's more in this case about listening and validating and reassuring. Okay, let's move on. I have quite a bit more to cover here. So first, I'm just going to run through a few tips for psychological safety for yourself in the group. Remember I mentioned at the beginning that you should focus on maintaining this psychological safety and that is just simple things like promoting a sense of safety for everyone in the group. So if you're doing something on the edge of a cliff that might not be so psychologically great for everyone, if you have the ability to move it in couple of hundred yards or a couple hundred feet or something like that and not endanger anyone that go ahead and do that because now you don't have that literal looming cliff behind you to freak you out then promote calm by calming yourself first and then your patients that is just refer back to the previous section you want to promote a sense of self and collective decision making by including the patient in all of the decisions related to their own care and promote a sense of connection between the patient and yourself by working as a team and communicating. Remember I covered a couple episodes ago about that closed loop communication that is always good for making sure everybody's on the same page and there aren't any miscommunications. And then promote the hope and belief that things are going to get better, but don't do this in a way that it gives a false sense of hope. If you know you're 10 minutes from the trailhead, you can go ahead and say that. If you know you're 200 miles from the trailhead and you tell them, oh, we'll be back by nightfall, that's a lie. And it's going to maybe improve their spirits briefly, but then when they figure out that not only did you mislead them but you also lied to them they're not going to trust you and their mental health is just going to tank again and then finally promote acceptance and healing by seeking help if you are in need of it or encouraging it in it in others i don't really go into it too much in this episode 
I think it's worth an entire episode on its own, but survivor's guilt is a real thing. PTSD in rescuers is a real thing. You can get psychological scars and injuries from dealing with a traumatic event or seeing others injured, particularly if you really care about those others and they're injured and you need to help them. And especially since a lot of things are not always the most successful, if someone under your care in the backcountry needs CPR because their heart stopped, just keep in mind that I think I read once that in hospital CPR success rates are 15%. Yes, 15%. By the time someone needs CPR, their situation is already pretty dire. Their heart has stopped. They're no longer breathing. And it's not like the movies. It's not on TV where you punch them in the chest with a closed fist and then they wake back up and they pop up and they're good to go. That is not true. It's not real. CPR is traumatic. They are not getting enough oxygen to their brain and it is hard on the lungs and you are breaking ribs. It is a trauma in and of itself. So it is not always going to be successful. So if you have PTSD following a event of some sort, then please get help. It is 100% okay and 100% normal. And on the flip side, Don't feel guilty if you don't need that. If you're perfectly fine, it doesn't mean that you're a monster and that there's something wrong with you. You just have some healthy coping mechanisms and you knew how to handle it and you don't need to feel guilty or lesser than because you don't need help. So just get help. Don't feel bad for needing it. Don't feel bad for not needing it. Everyone is different. Every situation is different. And it's just important to keep all of that in mind. Okay, I kind of went off on a little tangent there. I'm just going to quickly run through a couple of do's and don'ts for how to handle someone having a crisis in an austere environment. So I do have a little bit on panic attack and suicidal thoughts here in the tip sheet. I think I'm going to run through the panic attack section real quick first. And that is just because they're very real. They're very possible. And they seem very scary. They are very scary. So one of the best things that you can do for someone who's having a panic attack is to remember how it could feel for them. It is a feeling of high, high anxiety or fear or discomfort with a rapid onset lasting up to 10 minutes on average according to the books, but I've heard of people saying that they are lasting for hours and they have a racing heart. They're chest is tight and painful they might be sweaty and shaky they might feel short of breath or like they can't breathe at all they might get dizzy or lightheaded and feel detached from themselves or have a fear of losing control and all of these are very scary situations and it does feel like you're having a heart attack or like you are currently dying so keep that in mind And be patient with these patients because it really does feel absolutely terrifying in the moment. 
and it may or may not help, but remind them that this is not fatal. They're not going to die from it, and you're going to be with them until they get better. So first of all, if you're able to, or if they're not already, have them sit down and ask them if they know what's happening. Ask them if it's happened before. Ask them how often it happens. Kind of stuff like that to orient them to their situation and kind of remind them that it is likely a panic attack, which up until this point they have survived in the past. I mean, hopefully they will after this too. I said that really wrong. Next, if you don't know them, obviously introduce yourself. It is weird being taken care of by a stranger when you're panicking. And then ask them what you can do to help and then do it. Remain, calm yourself, remind them that they're having this panic attack. And then in a calm, assertive way, in a reassuring way, remind them that it's not fatal. And then just sit there and do whatever they need to feel better. If they do pass out, check them for breathing and pulse and keep them comfortable until they come around. Keep them safe, make sure they stay breathing, maintain their airway, and if you need to, turn them on their side so if they throw up, they don't aspirate it. And next, someone could be having suicidal thoughts on the trail. I remember listening to a few podcasts about this and There was one in particular where a woman came across a man on a snowy summit trail and it was like really cold. The weather was terrible. She was prepared for it. She knew she was going out for a winter hike and then she found this guy in like a t-shirt and shorts and he was kind of weird when she rescued him. She was a search and rescue person. So she did manage to guide him down and get him off the mountain and he sat briefly in her car at the trailhead and then he just took off in his own car and she was like, well, that was weird. And they got a letter a few weeks later and it turns out that he had been planning on taking his life up there and that's why he was dressed like that because he wanted to go quickly and her actions showed him that he might have hope and that his life matters and that the way that she treated him he decided that he wasn't going to kill himself and he was going to seek professional help and he wrote that letter to tell them all that information so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that you come across someone on a trail or in the backcountry who's having these suicidal thoughts and It's just important to remember with them that you need to stay with them and ensure their safety. If they have any weapons or any objects that they might use to harm themselves with, take those away. And it might seem kind of weird, but you want to basically suss out and ask them how serious their plan is. I know this was a very bizarre concept when I was in nursing school, but just be open about it. Don't Don't use euphemisms, just come right out and ask them, are you planning on killing yourself? How are you going to do it? Have you um, obtained the means that you need to do it? And the more serious and the more thought out and the farther along their plan is, the 
closer it is to coming to fruition. So that is kind of how you tell. Like if they just say, yeah, sometimes I have suicidal thoughts, but I've never acted on them and I haven't made any any ways to perform it. I haven't really thought about how I would do it. That is a lot less concerning than if they have thought about it and they've obtained a method and they've maybe tried it in the past. Just for an example. So, okay, let's run through these do's and don'ts real quick and then wrap it up for today. So things you do want to do are express your concern, ask them if they have the plan, the method, and have obtained a a way of carrying it out, a method, I guess. Clarify important points back to them. Allow them to express their feelings, which validates them. And summarize what you're hearing and repeat it back because that lets them know that you really are actually listening and not just letting them talk while thinking about what you're going to say next. Always be patient and calm and kind and ask open-ended questions. That way they have to answer and they have to come up with words and they can't just say yes or no. And express your empathy. However, you do not want to, this is the don'ts list, Don't act shocked or judgmental. Don't argue with them or debate or try and discuss if it's right or wrong. Don't try and use guilt or threats to discourage them. And don't minimize their problems or give a glib response like, Oh, it'll be okay. You'll be fine. Cheer up. It's all good. Don't interrupt with stories of your own. I know this is a method of relating to people and emphasizing that you understand how they feel. But in this case, just don't do it. You you don't you likely don't understand what they're coming through or what they're going through where they're coming from so try not to interrupt because that kind of takes the focus back off of them and onto you and don't convey a lack of interest through body language and this really should go without saying but do not call their bluff or dare them to follow through that's probably one of the worst ideas that you can have So those are the do's or don'ts. Use the triaging system above all else. Those are just a few tips for ways that you can speak to them and how you should respond to them. But really it comes back to that mental health first aid where you're gathering this information and then you're going to triage the situation and try and figure out what you need to do. Yes, listening is great, but it's all about action. You need to be able to take what you are hearing and kind of metabolize it in your brain and turn it around and come up with an actionable plan for what you want to do that's going to keep everyone safe and return everyone home happy. So yeah, this is pretty much all I have on mental health and wilderness mental health first aid. I know it is a little more complex and it goes a lot more in depth. I will try and link that outside, um, what is it, outsideonline.com article about the person who came up with the continuum and actually it is what led me to finding the survive first aid student guide that is in the references because it has all of that listed out and it actually has these really nice visual full color graphics that can tell you 
where on the continuum you might lie. It has a little grid and if you're a very visual person that might be extremely helpful for you. So remember it's in the Survive First Aid Student Guide and I'll try and link that one special in the show notes. Additionally, in the show notes, check out that tip sheet. It has the brief rundown of the ACE method as well as the self-care and safety tips on the back from me. And the newsletter is the same one for the first four episodes, so hopefully by now you've already seen it. But make sure to give me a rate and review that will help me tremendously. Please subscribe. And I can't wait to get back to you next week with our first regularly scheduled episode. Thanks, guys.